listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I ask as we dive into your word that your spirit would be present to open your word to us, God, because if, if he is not, then we cannot know, we cannot understand, and we cannot respond because without you, God, this book of scripture is a locked book. So we need you to do that for us this morning. I pray that you would be at work in every heart and every mind. God, teach us not what we want to hear, not what we want to understand, but what we need. And Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm kind of excited today because we're kicking off a brand new sermon series called Missionaries. Missionaries. Now, a lot of us have different images that come to mind when we hear the word missionary, I would imagine, right? Now, what we're going to do as we walk through the series called Missionaries is we're not going to go through things necessarily chronologically. You know, we've done that, for example, with the book of Ruth where we march through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, what we're going to do during this series on missionaries is we're going to look at just a smattering of passages in Scripture uh, to see and to discover that this book, the Bible, from cover to to cover is, in fact, a missionary handbook. From Genesis to Revelation, what we see is a God who was on the move, a God who was on the move to redeem and to restore a lost and broken creation, a sin-fallen world through the redemption of and the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in the Old Testament, and we're going to see that in the New Testament as well. So if this particular series seems a little more chaotic and kind of just a smattering of things all over the place, don't worry, that's by design. And we're going to go through this throughout the summer, missionaries. And here's the, the main point of this whole series, and uh, this is it. This is the main point. So I want you to say this here with me right now. Say what's on the screen here. I am God's missionary. So we are all missionaries for God, and my hope and my prayer as we move through this, this series is that this would be something each of us can claim, not just at a head level, but can know at a deep heart level that this is true as well, that we are God's people who are sent, not just to Africa or to China or to Asia, but here and now in Osakis, in Todd County, in the Greater Lakes area and beyond, you and I, friends, believers in Jesus Christ, are sent out as his missionaries to bring this good news of the redemption of the world to the world that is desperately broken and needs to hear it. I have uh, on my bucket list, I don't have a very long bucket list, I need to work on this. I've got one, I've got one thing so far. Uh, I want to be in a heist 
I want to be in a heist. And if you are a guy out there for sure and you're like, no, I don't want to. You're, come on, be honest. You want to be in a heist. Every guy out there wants to be in a heist. The thing I love about heist movies, you see Ocean's 11, 12, 13, all these kinds of things. What's so great about them? Well, every single person on the team has a specific role to play, right? There's the techie guy who's, who's off-site somewhere on his computer. He, he shuts off a security system at just the right time, and he has all the blueprints, and so he's kind of coordinating things behind the scene. You got the getaway driver, right? The person that drops everybody off and then picks them up at the end, and which I think that guy's kind of underrated because that would take, you got to be pretty cool under pressure to be able to do that. Sounds like a simple job, like hit the gas pedal, buddy. It's not that hard, but you got to have your wits about you, right? So you got that, you've got that person too. You've got the, uh, um, the brains behind everything, right? The person that thought of this whole plan, that's got everything down in detail, maybe even made a blueprint about it. You've got the brawn, you've got to have the muscle, the person who you know, is going to be the, the strong guy to kind of barrel through if there are any obstacles. Uh, what else? Well, we've got the, the contortionist. That's probably my favorite person, right? When they get to the bank room and there's a laser grid around, this person can somehow you know, move their body into and like dislocate shoulders to be able to get through under and, and up and, and over to the, to the bank safe. Now, what I want to suggest is that there's something about a heist that appeals to something very deep in us as humans. It's a desire to have a purpose. It's a desire to have a role. There's a reason that the biggest question people want to know in life is, what is my purpose? What am I here for, right? We all have this innate desire to know that we have a purpose, to know that we have a mission, and to know what that is. Well, God, in fact, doesn't put us here on earth to sit around and eat bonbons, contrary to what many people think the Garden of Eden was maybe like. Adam and Eve weren't sitting around in paradise eating bonbons. They were working the ground, right? God gave them a purpose. He gives them a mission, God gives us a mission too because we are, in fact, His missionaries. So what is our mission here? What is our mission, Elam Lutheran Church? I mean, there's a lot of ways to talk about God's mission for the church, and it can be just in very general kinds of terms. We can just say, well, it's, it's the Great Commission, right? And that's certainly true, and there's a million different ways you can... You can kind of articulate what, what your mission is, but it, it's important for each local congregation to be able to pinpoint and say, hey, th- this is what God has called us to do in this time and in this place. So if you walk in the doors of our church, you've seen this sign. It's been up there for quite a while now. And what this sign does is it articulates in three really simple points, what is our mission here at Elam Lutheran Church? What is our purpose And this is nothing new. These three points are nothing new. It's interesting when you go back and read some of the history of this church, which I've been doing lately, these points are nothing new. It's not like we're coming up with some brand new thing. They have been a big part of the DNA of Elam from the very beginning. And here's what they are. Resting in the gospel, growing in Christ, loving our community. What I want to do today is lay a foundation for our series by just going over these three points. So when someone asks you, 
who is Elam? What are you all about? Like, what do we do? We rest in the gospel, we grow in Christ, and we love our community. So let's dive into these a little bit more. At Elam, we rest in the gospel. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, this is Jesus talking. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, the gospel, first and foremost, is something to be rested in. It's something to rest in, excuse me. The gospel in and of itself is simply good news that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again for you. And if you believe that, you, as a believer, have eternal life with Him. And that eternal life has consequences in the here and now of everyday existence. The gospel, first and foremost, is good news that we can rest in. I wonder if you were to do a straw poll of anybody in Osakis today, knock on their door, ask them, scale of 1 to 10, how restful is your life right now? Do a straw poll here. Anybody at a 10? Nines? Eights? See, as human beings, we're not very good at resting sometimes. I've noticed this in my own life. I would much rather be doing, I think the hardest of the Ten Commandments sometimes, and the most countercultural is to observe the Sabbath, right? Because it means stop, not go. Rest. Rest is something that people long for, right? Like it sounds so good in our hurried, technology-driven lives. Rest is just like a foreign kind of concept to us. And what the gospel does, what Jesus does, is He offers us rest for our souls. You see, as, as human beings, we have this tendency to be busy. How many conversations have you had when you ask someone, hey, how's life going? And they're like, man, it's busy. Crazy busy, so busy. Life is busy. I do it myself a lot. And I think this little word busy is more dangerous than we realize because what we're really saying on some level is I am important. See, there's, a, there's a, a tinge of, maybe not just a tinge, there's pride involved in that. The busier I am, the more stuff I have to do, the fuller my schedule, the more important I am. And it becomes a measure of my worth as a human being. The busier I am, the more valuable I am, the more worthwhile I am. 
So it becomes this barometer of like our righteousness. Here's what a guy by the name of Dave Zoll, who is a, a really apt um, observer of uh, culture and the way that the Bible talks about particularly justification. Here's what he says. He says, perhaps more than anything else in modern American life, busyness serves as a barometer of identity and therefore self-justification. Man. Busyness serves as a barometer. It measures our identity, right? We value ourselves based on how busy we are at the moment. And therefore, it's another way of justifying our existence, justifying who we are, trying to continually prove that we are enough, right? A good enough mother or a, a faithful enough employee, right? We have all of these, and, and there's a reason that we, we think like this. It's because this is how every other sphere of life operates, right? As an employee, where does your value come from? Well, it's a bottom line thing, right? Your profits at the end of the year, your billable hours, what is your value to the company? Like, you can actually quantify that. And you can put a figure on that, right? Your value as a student, uh, you get A's or B's or C's. Like, there's a very specific way. We have a numbering system, a way to measure that. So we, we tend to, to measure our value. Another way to say this is we tend to measure our value by what we do. Which is to say, by our own efforts, by our own blood, sweat, and tears, however much, however high that is, the greater our, our value, and the greater and more important our, our identity. It has to be earned, right? Your value has to be earned. This is the way of the world, and it's as it, as it should be in many cases. But when it comes to God, our value is the opposite. It is literally the opposite. Do you know why? Here it is, because Christianity is the only religion that says your value is given and not earned. That's no small thing. People in life, and we as humans, our tendency is to try to earn our value through our own blood, sweat, and tears. But what does Christianity say? Christianity comes in and it says, your value, your lovability, your worth, your righteousness is not based on what you do, but on what has been done for you by Jesus Christ in His life, death, and resurrection dying and paying the penalty for your sins and for mine to make salvation possible for those who believe. Who are we? We rest in the gospel. And Elam, you know what is interesting is that the very word Elam, it has a lot of connotations of rest, like baked into that word. You go back to the Old Testament, the word Elam, it was, a, it was a desert oasis where the Israelites stayed during their wilderness wanderings. There were like 12 
springs of water and there were palm trees. And it was this wonderful place where God provided rest and renewal for them. And so we as a church, that is our desire as well, that we would be this oasis of life-giving water to a world that is desperate for it, that may not know that it even needs it, but it's on tap here. Jesus, the water of life. So that's, that's point number one. We rest in the gospel. Number two, we grow in Christ. We grow in Christ. Here is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. We rest in the gospel, but we grow in Christ. See, faith is not a static thing. Faith by its very nature, even though it is a gift, it's not something that just kind of sits there. Faith has legs on it. It's got, it's, it, it's always in motion. It always does things. This is, this is the way that, that faith operates. You hear James talk about this, how, how faith without works is, is dead. He's not talking about faith and works being two completely separate things. He's saying, man, these are the sides of the same coin. Like you can't have one without the other. We grow in Christ. So faith is a gift, right? We know this from Ephesians. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. But it's less like getting a gift of socks and more like getting the gift of, say, a bonsai tree. You give somebody... Weird. I get it. Okay, give me a second. Don't blow it, Luke. Okay. So the socks, right? You get the socks, there's nothing to do with them other than you just put them on. They're a gift that's complete and total and mature in and of itself, right? There's your socks. You get a plant. You get a, a bonsai tree. I don't know why that came to my mind. I've been watching Karate Kid too much. Bonsai tree, any sort of plant, what do you got to do? Well, you got to water it. It's got to be exposed to sunlight. It needs nutrients. It needs to grow. It's not something that just, that just sits there. It's something that needs to be brought into uh, maturity, into the fullness of that faith, right? So we grow in Christ. And man, you know what is interesting? As I've been spending some time in, in the archives that we've got here at, at Elam, is that historically speaking, this church, from what I can tell, this church has been like a powerhouse in doing, in teaching God's Word 
so faithfully over so many years. Man, I, I walk into my office every time, and there's a whole hall of fame of all of these, these pastors who have gone before me and who have stuck so tightly and have been anchored to God's Word, right? And that is so important, and it happens in so many different ways and, and in so many different uh, forms. One of the really cool things, so this church was founded in 1899. The building itself didn't come about for a couple of years later, a few years later. But right early on, and you know, at, at this time, uh, churches had a, a difficult time sometimes being able to afford to pay a, a pastor. But what happened even early on, this church, it realized the necessity of Christian education. And so there was a, a Bible school. So in, in 1901, this church decided that that was such an important thing summer Bible school, that they were going to hire somebody, not the pastor, this is separate from the pastor, somebody else to teach the summer Bible school. You know what their salary was? 25 a month. So, trivia for you. It's been increased a little bit since I've arrived here, so thank God. Um, so, this growing in Jesus Christ has been a primary value of this church from the very beginning. Side note, does anybody know what these instruments are? Because I was looking through and I could not figure it out. This is the first pastor of the church, E.M. Brown. It's called a harp guitar, people. <laughs> harp guitar. All right. Now we've cleared that out of the way. We rest in the gospel, we grow in Christ. And this growth in Jesus Christ, it takes place in many different forms, right? You've got the classic stuff. We've got Sunday school, which is so well attended. We've got the kids' Sunday school and an adult Sunday school. We've got confirmation class where people hear about the truths, the deep and abiding truths of God's Word. We have such a faithful group on Tuesday night Bible study. Man, I walk away from that more blessed than, than I think the people who come sometimes. And there are, are many of, so many of these, these ways that we go about doing this, but it's not limited to that. This growth in Jesus Christ comes about through conversations in the coffee shop. Uh, it comes about over the dinner table, being in people's homes and and in this more intimate kind of setting where we love and encourage one another as iron sharpens iron. So yes, we rest in the gospel, but we also grow in Christ. We also do this. We love our community. We love our community. So Jesus has these words for us in the Gospel of Matthew. Once again, I'm going to jump to Matthew 25, verses 33 through 40. Jesus has just told a parable, and, and he's kind of explaining it here. 
This is the parable of the sheep and the goats. It says, he, that is the son of man, will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, Jesus seemed to have a special concern for people on the fringes. The fringes of, of society, the people who were often viewed as outcasts by the rest of the world. You read through the New Testament, we'll see Jesus healing lepers, spending time with, with prostitutes and tax collectors. We see Jesus putting mud on the eyes of beggars. See, all these people that society would look at and say they don't matter, Jesus says, yes, they do. Yes, you do. Because this is someone for whom I died. We love, we love our community. And concern for, for those on the fringes is not just something that, that Jesus himself did, but it is something he calls the church to participate in as well. And that concern, if it is a concern for Jesus, it is a concern for us too. So the question we can ask and kind of consider is, man, as we look in the Osakis area, and of course, Todd County and beyond, what needs do we see? And how can we as a church be the hands and feet of Jesus to love our community? How can we continue to do that, right? You know, one of the, the funny things, I, I think it's funny, one of the critiques that gets leveled at Lutherans sometimes is that you guys don't really care about good works. You don't prioritize good works all that much, right? Like you're just, you're so focused and so fixated on faith as a gift apart from works, right? It has nothing to do with us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just spoke about that a little bit ago. So guilty as charged, right? But the reason I find that critique funny is because Martin Luther himself spoke about faith as a living and active and mighty thing. Listen to, listen to, to what he says here. 
says, oh, it is a living, busy, active, and powerful thing, this faith. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. can't help it. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done, but before anyone asks, it already has done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Anyone who does not do good works in this manner is an unbeliever. Woo! Mic drop, Martin Luther, out! Sheesh! You see, what's, what's needed in the church today, and I don't mean us specifically, I mean the C, capital C church in general. I've heard this from, from a number of people, and this one in particular comes from a guy by the name of Tom Rainier, and what he says is a, may, a shift that needs to happen in local congregations is we need to start seeing ourselves less like a country club and more like a mission outpost. Less a country club, more as a mission outpost. What does he mean by that? At a country club, you pay your dues, you receive the benefits of the country club, you get your amenities. A lot of people view church that way. Pay our money, put in our time, I'm entitled to certain benefits, an inspiring message, uh, a good Bible study, um, community outreach, things like that. I think we can all say that we identify with that to some extent. Yet what he's saying is that the church today needs to see itself as more of a mission outpost in the sense that we are missionaries because no longer do you have to cross the ocean to find people of, of all stripes, all religious traditions, people of, of, of every different imaginable group coming to our doorstep, right? And so without even trying, without having to move to Africa or anything, we are a missionary outpost. See what I'm saying? We don't have to necessarily go to people as, as far as sending them across oceans to go and find some unchurched people. No, like the world is, is at our doorstep now, literally. It's a mission field out there. And we are a mission outpost. And Elam always has been. Again, nothing new here. We rest in the gospel. We grow in Christ. And we love our community. So as we slow down and dwell deeply in God's word throughout this series, my hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see the mission field around us. You see, we serve a missionary God, and that means we are a missionary people. Because God is on a mission. He is on the move here at Elam. Where is He taking us? How exactly will we get there? I don't know. And I don't know. But I do know one thing. God always finishes what He starts. And that means His mission to redeem and restore this broken world cannot fail. Because if you have read this thing, spoiler alert, you know how it ends. 
You know who wins in the end. It's Jesus. So the results of this mission are not up in the air. They're guaranteed. And he invites us to be participants with him. Jesus has a mission for us here and now in the Osakis community, Elam Church. So who are we and what are we all about? I want you to say this with me. We rest in the gospel. We grow in Christ. We love our community. One more time. We rest in the gospel. We grow in Christ. We love our community. Let's pray. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.